Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I for one wasn't expecting this. I mean, I remember hearing vaguely about something happening over in China and how international university students weren't able to, to get back or for the start of study. But I wasn't expecting this, preaching from my lounge room. Were you? Were you expecting that we'd not only be not allowed to meet together in the same physical place on Sundays, but we'd not even be able to gather in small groups? Were you expecting that the Tuncurry Rock Pool and Foster Baths would be closed to public access? Were you expecting the run on the toilet paper and mints and flour at the supermarkets? Well, because if you were, then everything would just be easy to see. Everything would be clear and straightforward. You'd have a full pantry. You'd have got this whole YouTube and Zoom thing worked out long ago. You might have even thought to buy shares in Zoom. But if you weren't expecting this, like most of us, I suspect, then this is a very strange world indeed. Harder to accept on paper and even harder to accept and navigate virtually. With everything, what you expect shapes how you receive it. And that's why having the right expectation about God and his king is so crucial for actually receiving him rightly. Now this week, uh, we're jumping across from John's Gospel over into Matthew's Gospel as we approach Easter. And here in Matthew's Gospel today, we're entering a part of the narrative where Matthew is deeply concerned about us seeing Jesus as the real deal, as God's authentic King. You see, in contrast to the religious establishment around at the time, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the teachers of the Lord, Jesus is one who shows where true religion is at. He shows where God's true kingdom is. But to see it, you've got to have the right expectation. You've got to measure him by the right standard. 
the alternative, you see, is to measure Jesus by the wrong set of expectations, the wrong standard, and, and you'll be left at best with simply being less than impressed, at worst, with missing out on the blessings that this King, this true and authentic God's King brings. Let me lead us in prayer and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, may we see Jesus today. Heavenly Father, may we hear Jesus today. And Heavenly Father, may we love Jesus today. Amen. Now, although we're kicking off in Matthew chapter 21, just a few verses earlier, back in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says clearly where he's going. He's going to Jerusalem. You see, this is where obedience to his Father, God, is leading him. He's God's man. And so, as he goes, he shows that he is God's man. How does he do this? Well, he does it by doing what God has said, fulfilling what God has spoken in the past. You see, he's the prophesied king. Now, Israel hadn't had the best history with kings, really. Things didn't start too well with King Saul, tall and strong, though not strong in trusting in the Lord. King David came next, and he was much better, though still had his own faults. Solomon, his son, will show promise. And for a time, it seemed like all of God's promises might come to fulfillment. But Solomon himself still had the problem of sin. And from then onwards, apart from a few bright shining lights, things got worse and worse. The kings got worse and worse. The northern kingdom, Israel, was destroyed and God threw the southern kingdom, Judah, out of the land. In exile. But while the kings got worse and worse, God's promise stood firm. It remained. And he spoke it indeed again and again through his prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. He spoke of the one who was to come, a servant who would suffer, a king. God himself even coming to his people. And then through one prophet, Zechariah, at a time when the remnant of Judah had returned from exile in Babylon. They'd come back into the land, yet even though they were now back in the land, the great hopes that they'd had for rebuilding and restoration and re-establishing God's kingdom were falling far short. You see, at that time, through Zechariah, God speaks of a time when his king would come to Jerusalem, to Zion, the mountain that Jerusalem was built on. And the king would come, how? Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, when we get to the start of chapter 21 here, and Jesus calls his disciples to, to get a donkey. It's not as if Jesus' legs have given up, finally. You know, after 33 years of walking around the countryside, he can't go a step further and he says, get me a donkey. No. He does this purposefully. It's a moment of conscious self-revelation. Jesus making himself known. Go and get a donkey. I'm riding in 
on a donkey. You see, Jesus is showing those with eyes to see who he really is. He's the real deal, God's authentic prophesied king. Now it is remarkable in the story, as we read, that he knows that there'll be a donkey there for the disciples to go and see, and that by the words that he gives them, the owners will simply let the disciples take the donkey and the colt. But that's not the main thing to notice in these verses here. You see, it's verses 4 and 5 that we need to see. Verses 4 and 5. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, that is to Jerusalem, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now you and I might think, but a little donkey, surely that's not all that kingly to ride on. Why does Jesus pick a donkey to show that he's God's king? Shouldn't he ride on, on a big majestic horse or something? But if we think that, we'd be wrong. You see, we need to have the right expectations. Kings of the time did, in fact, ride on donkeys. It is true that they also rode on war horses, but you see, it all depended on the time, on what was happening in the king's rule at that time. War horses were for times of war. Donkeys, on the other hand, were for times of peace. And it was still a Mercedes, just not an armoured personnel carrier that Jesus rode on. And that's where looking a little bit more widely in Zechariah will help us out, you see. Back in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10, the verse just after the mention of the king riding in on a donkey. We read these words, verse 10, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see, this king, God's king, had come at this time to bring peace and restoration. Verse 11, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free the prisoners from the waterless pit. See that? Freedom. Freedom from oppression because of the blood of his covenant. This was God's authentic king. Just as God said, coming at this time for peace and for freedom. Indeed, he was coming, wasn't he, to shed his blood on the cross as the price for our freedom. But notice also, see how God's king is humble. We've seen that he's here not coming for war at this point, but in peace. But more than that, he's gentle and humble. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, Jesus says. You see, meekness can often be confused with weakness. The words do sound very alike, don't they? But whereas weakness often results in a show of force, a compensation, if you like, 
Because underneath, a bully is always an insecure and weak heart. Meekness, on the other hand, comes from an underlying position of strength, security. Meekness, you see, is strength in control. The one who is strong doesn't need to try and prove it by such a show of force. And so he is God's authentic king, the prophesied king, the secure and humble king, coming to bring peace to the city of God's people, Jerusalem. But the question is, how will they receive him? You see, as Jesus approaches the city on his donkey, there's, there's two groups of people reacting, two groups responding to this king in different ways. On the one hand, there's the crowds. Verse 9, there's those who went ahead of him and those who followed him. Uh, just imagine for a moment, an incredible crowd walking in on the road to Jerusalem. People everywhere. And in the middle of the crowd, half of the crowd in front, half of the crowd behind, there's Jesus riding on his donkey. And the crowd is calling to one another backwards and forward, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna points to the idea of salvation. The son of David, he, he saves. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise be to the king who comes in God's name. Many of those whom Christ had freed from their oppression in his ministry could well be in that crowd. The two blind men who just a few verses earlier in chapter 20 had cried out, Son of David, have mercy. Well, they now cried out, This is the Son of David who saves. Hosanna to the Son of David. The mute man whose tongue had been tied, but now shouted out loud for all to hear, praise the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Matthew, the tax collector, the, the shonky businessman who turned to follow Jesus and who indeed wrote down this gospel for us to read. There he is too, crying out, here, here is the king who saves. Maybe even the centurion who had such faith to say that he wasn't even worthy for Jesus to come into his house, but that Jesus could just say the word and his servant would be healed. He too would be crying out, praise for God's king. But there was another group on this day that Jesus came, those inside the city, those who were stirred up, earthquaked, as it were, at all this commotion around Jesus' entry into the city. Who is this? What's going on? What's all the fuss about? And as we read on in Matthew's Gospel, well, we'll see that they're the ones who are in the temple, buying and selling, treating it like a marketplace, getting out what they can from those who might approach to worship God. They, too, were the ones who would be indignant at the praise that Jesus would receive from the children in the temple courts. Can you hear what they're saying, teacher? They were the ones who were less than keen to have God's king coming in, you see. 
especially if God's king looked like Jesus. How could there be such a difference in the way that these two groups receive Jesus? Well, it's not just because of expectations in one sense at this point. It's because of who we naturally want to have in charge of things. Ourselves. You see, it's like the story of two orphan brothers. They'd been living on the street together for 12 years until finally one day they came across this amazing house palace even, and they pushed on the gate and it just opened. They went in and it was empty. No one was living there. They went inside and they saw a house though still furnished and ready to live in. There were two rooms that they found with beds just right for them. And so they decided, well, it'll be okay if we stay here one night. We'll meet whose house it is in the morning. The first night passed and no one arrived the following morning. And so to the second night and the third night, but still no one came. And over the next few years, well, the boys began to treat the place like it was their own. Until one day, one day they heard a great noise, shouts of joy and praise cries that the king had returned and in through the gate they saw someone walking. The king had finally returned. Now this king was kind and good and as he saw the boys and he heard their story he said to them please stay. But he said, too, that there would be a difference, you see. He wanted them to stay and become part of his family. He would adopt them and care for them as his children. Well, for one little boy, this was the best news ever. Finally, a place to call home. To really call home. Not just a building to live in, but a family to be part of. And he was delighted at the king's offer, joy and praise. It felt like it was almost bursting out of him for this king. But the other boy, well, he was rather quiet. He wasn't all that keen on this stranger's suggestion. In fact, he really wanted to doubt whether this person really owned the house at all. You see, He'd had the run of the house this past little while, and he didn't want to give it up. If the king came to live with them, if he stayed to live with the king, he would have to live under the king's rule. He wouldn't get to be his own boss anymore. So it was with many in Jerusalem when Jesus entered the city. So it is with many who hear of Jesus' kingship today. So as you hear of Jesus' kingship this morning, as you see Jesus first coming as king in peace, how will you receive him? Will you be like the crowds shouting his praise? Has your life indeed been transformed by this king? Well, if so, praise him. Praise him and make it known. Call out this Easter. And Jesus is your king.
Or will you be like those in the city, all in a bother? Like the orphan trying to look for a loophole at the king's return. Trying to keep hold of the reins for yourself. You see, despite how much we might try to fight for our own peace and security, peace and security at our own hands, unfortunately for us, they are only to be found in this king's hands. Fortunately, rather, they are to be found there. Can I urge you? to hear and receive the good news of this King Jesus now. For though he first came in peace, that, that palms, first Palm Sunday, he is coming again to complete his work and to remove those who stand opposed to him. Come, come and join in in his praise this Easter. Amen. Well, I hope you've been encouraged by our service this morning uh, in our remote locations. Uh, it's been good to gather together and hear God's word. Uh, do remember to look at the parish news, which is in the email that has gone out uh, Sunday morning. Uh, it'll also be on the website as well so that you can view it on there. And uh, remember this morning, if the clocks haven't uh, turned back automatically for you, it is uh, the return from daylight savings to normal time. Uh, and at 11 o'clock, uh, normal time, we'll be getting together for an online morning tea. Uh, BYO coffee and uh, tea, though. Uh, if you are able to log in through Zoom, please do that. There's also an option to call in uh, with information about how to do that in the email. Love to see or hear you there uh, and pray with you. Let's finish with uh, the final words. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen.